We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we've been in our current series, Christmas, the Supporting Cast, we've been exploring the lesser known stories of Christmas. And today we're looking at Anna's story. A widow at a young age, Anna knew what it was like to walk through trials, yet she remained faithful. She remained in a posture of gratitude and worship, trusting God to come through and waiting for the Messiah. So dive into Anna's story with us today as we see what God's word has to teach us. We're so glad you're here. Good morning, and also Merry Christmas. I'm really glad that you're here today as we continue in this series that we've been calling, as the video suggested, the, the, the supporting cast of Christmas. The people that often don't get a lot of play, uh, their stories aren't often told, they're not the characters that we bring to our nativity, they're not the traditional ones that you think of when you remark about Christmas. And today we're diving into the book of Luke chapter 2 um, with a character named Anna. And, and I'm excited to tell her story today. In fact, we remarked um, just this week in our teaching team, the, the guys who teach and Kelly Minter who's teaching at our uh, Franklin campus today, just kind of marveling over the idea that we've never taught Anna before. At least not without being coupled with Simeon or coupled with some of the more familiar characters that you bring around your nativity and that you celebrate and that you tell their story at Christmas. But today she takes center stage and we get to look at just a few verses that surround her story, but that tell us a great bit more about what it means to be dedicated to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to grab them or pull up your mobile device or words will be on the screen. We're going to turn our attention to Luke chapter two. And you'll notice that I have a menorah up here. We'll get to that a little bit later, but many of you who know us know that we as a family, this little Allen family of mine with Susan and our three kids, we, we celebrate Christmas in, in some different ways than what might be considered traditional or normal throughout the year. In fact, we've already had St. Nicholas Day at our house. Um, St. Nicholas Day traditionally celebrated on December the 5th and 6th as opposed to Santa Claus coming on the 25th. And what our kids do, they do a, a kind of a traditional European thing where they put their shoes um, by the hearth or the fireplace or outside their door on the night of the 5th. And Susan and I fill it up with a couple little things that night, just small things, usually a pair of socks to go in their shoes, uh, a piece of chocolate and something small. Well, this year we hit the jackpot as we often do, at the dollar spot at Target, right? Because you know, I mean, recommendations, stocking stuffers, dollar, three dollars, and five dollar gifts that fit easily inside something, you may find, they change things out fast, so you gotta catch it when it's good. And so we go in there, and we see these little candles that our, our teen girls would love, and, and they have sayings on the front of them, and they smell good, that are absolutely perfect for our daughters. In fact, for our middle daughter, she's 13 years old, she loves to bake. The front of this candle says this, cupcakes are really muffins, who believed in miracles. And when you think about it, that's true. A muffin is just a cupcake who's waiting to be transformed into something that's a, a little bit better. And, and I think about that particularly at Christmas because we're all waiting on something and, and we're all hoping and asking and, and begging of God that he might do some kind of miracle in our lives. And after the last 18 months to two years that any of us has had, or maybe the last 18 to that would be a whole really long age, decades, like a long time that you've been waiting for God to do a miracle, for God to show up and restore the broken relationship, provide the emotional healing, offer to you the reconciliation, give you the financial blessing. We've all got something that we're asking God for this year, some kind of miracle, some kind of hope, some kind of expectation that we're waiting on. Enter 
Anna and Simeon in the New Testament, people who had for generations been hoping and waiting and asking God to do something. Well, today she gets her day, and we get to dive into who she is. If you have your Bibles turned with you to Luke chapter 2, we're going to dive into verse 36 together, and it says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Now, I think the Bible writers are a little bit rude at this point. We didn't say that about Simeon. In fact, we never really get to know, although we assume that he's old, how old he is. But she, we get her age like, she old lady. Okay, so she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, I'm looking at this passage of Scripture, and I'm trying to figure out the timeline of what had happened. Girls got married really young in life. I looked over to this section of the auditorium at the 9 o'clock service towards my daughters and said, do not do this. Like, women kind of got married around 14, 15, even 16 years old back in those days. And so if you do the math, and Anna got married when she was around 15 years old, you add seven to that, um, and all of a sudden she's been with her husband for, what, she's 22 years old? And then all of a sudden she became a widow? And you think about what that life must have been like in that moment. And so we know that she had a difficult time, but let's back up to where the Bible calls her right at the beginning, a prophet. Some of your Bible translations are going to give the female nod to the word and call her a prophetess. And you may be asking, okay, so, so what did a lady prophet do? How many of you ever watched the Andy Griffith show? I've seen all them episodes way more than once. And you know that there was a revolving door of female characters as a opposite attraction for Andy through the years. And the first one was a lady named Ellie Walker. You saw her on Father Knows Best. And Ellie Walker was the lady druggist. And you might ask yourself, well, what did a lady druggist do? The same thing a man druggist did. And then she became a council woman. Well, what did a lady councilman, she's the first female council person in the town of Mayberry, what did a lady councilman do? The same thing a man councilman did in that moment. And so what in this moment did a lady prophet in the time of the New Testament, the same thing a man prophet did and suffered the same challenges that a man prophet did. And if you go back to the Old Testament, we're not just riddled with story after story after story, although there are quite a many of them, story of, of male prophets and their leadership and what they offered to Israel in the moment. There's also the female prophets. If you read Second Chronicles and Second Kings together, there's a story of a woman named Huldah the prophet. And in that moment when the king decided that he needed to know some information, he sent the priest and the appointed leaders. And where did they go? They went and found Huldah. And Huldah had to tell them what God had said. And three times in Second Chronicles and in Second Kings, it says this phrase, Huldah spoke and said, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. The role of the prophet was to communicate to people what God had said and what it meant. We like the idea of a prophet telling the future because that's exciting. But most often, a prophet just had to tell the truth. And, and more than anything, it was often a really hard or difficult truth that the prophet had to communicate. And so here's Anna, who literally had been a widow since she was probably in her early to mid-20s. And it says that she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And let's be, let's kind of talk about the fact she wasn't fasting because she didn't have enough. She's fasting because she chose to restrict herself so that she could focus on God and God alone. It says, coming up to them, this is the holy couple. This is the Mary and Joseph that we talked about last week. This is the holy couple performing exactly what God had been prescribing way back since the book of Leviticus, that when you had a baby, if it was a boy, eight days later, that kid would get circumcised and named. And then 30 days after that, the woman would be considered ritualistically pure and be 
able to go back into the temple to present herself as someone who was clean after having given birth. And you were supposed to bring like a goat and a bird or a, a lamb and a bird if you had enough money. And if you didn't have enough money, you had to bring just two birds. And so there's Mary and Joseph coming into the temple with just two birds and their baby ready to present themselves to God. And it says, coming up to them, here they are. Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. They had been waiting on a miracle. She herself had been waiting for a very long time, and they were still looking, and she's thanking God and telling everybody who listened, that miracle that we've been waiting on, it's here. It says in verse 39, when Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. That's an important word for later. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. People had been waiting for a miracle, waiting for something to be transformed, waiting for God to do what he had promised that he would one day do. And Anna said, it's here. <laughs> How'd she know? We'll get to that. But what did she do? The Bible says that she, she literally worshiped. She, she fasted and she prayed for all those years, knowing that God was gonna provide the miracle that they had been waiting on, telling the story. You know that between the Old and the New Testament, about 400 years pass by and it's the intertestamental period. And we, we call it this moment in history when God was silent. And it's during that moment that a lot of really cool things transpired. If you go back way before that into the Old Testament, this woman's story is not particularly mentioned, but it's fun to talk about today because there was a widow named Judith who lived in the Northern Kingdom of Israel around Around the time that the Assyrians came and ransacked the country and her name was Judith and her story's not told in scripture but legend continues to pass that down through Jewish brothers and sisters I'm sorry that I showed you a picture of a woman today with a severed head we can take that off if we need to Judith when she knew that the Assyrians were coming literally went into the camp of the Assyrian general, fed him a whole bunch of food and wine and got it to where he couldn't take care of himself and chopped off his head and a massacre started and her city was saved. People continued to tell her story and the legend was passed down. Who knows how true it was from generation to generation to generation. And so all the while the Jews are praying and waiting and longing and hoping that God would one day send the restorer. People like Judith get their story. And in the intertestamental period, we know from the book of Daniel, you know, he comes in and Nebuchadnezzar sets up this crazy statue and he has this dream and part of it's made of gold and then silver and then, and, and then bronze and then iron. And as the metals decrease in value, they e increase in strength. And that's what happened. The, the, the land of God's people was overtaken by four crazy world superpowers, first by the Babylonians and then by the Persians who actually let them go back and rebuild their temple. You know that because you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and you know the story of Queen Esther from the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, the Greeks have now taken back over that temple. They've taken back over that land. And in about 200 BC, here we are in the middle of that period where God seems silent the Greeks went into the Holy of Holies, a fellow named Antiochus, and he sacrificed pigs on God's altar, and it was a total annihilation of what God wanted. So this priest named Mattathias, he rounds up his five sons, and he says, hey, we're going to rebel against the Greeks in this moment. He dies in battle, and his oldest son, Judah, who was such a good fighter, we call him Judah Maccabee, or Judah the Hammer. There's a comic book about him. He literally looks like Thor. I don't know if that's what he looked like, but they won that battle. 
It's the Maccabean Rebellion. They won that battle, but the Old Testament law prescribed that you burn the menorah or the candle stand for the duration of the purification. Like while the temple was being cleansed from all the pigs that were sacrificed on God's altar, they had to burn the candle day and night. The problem was that they only had enough oil to burn it for one day. Well, miraculously, that menorah burnt for eight straight days, which was the time that it would take to press olives into new oil so that they could continue with the rites of purification. And Hanukkah happened. And Jews continued to celebrate that for the next 200 years and even 2,000 years. Hanukkah means dedication. That's literally what the word means. And they're dedicating or rededicating the temple so that they can once again begin to worship God in that place. And Jews are still celebrating that. What does that tell me today? That means that Hannah and Simeon once a year celebrated the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. And if you go to John chapter 10, which we'll do in a minute, Jesus himself celebrated the Feast of Dedication in your scriptures. You didn't even know. Many Christians don't understand that Hanukkah is right there in their Bibles. John chapter 10, Jesus is walking around the temple in Solomon's colonnade during the Feast of Dedication because they celebrated this moment when the temple was rededicated and they were once again able to worship God and it became a miracle in their memory that helped them believe that another even better miracle might come and we celebrate this as a family. We've already burned our eight Hanukkah candles this year as a way to dedicate our lives and rededicate our home to God. And if we don't think that this, as much as any song that we sing or story that we tell, points us straight to Jesus, after all, who's the light of the world? And whose light burns way longer than just eight days with nothing to extinguish it? And, and, and to whom are we to be continually dedicating and rededicating our hearts and our homes and our families and our lives to? What was Anna doing all that time? She was celebrating Passover, Purim, the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, all of the holy days, the tabernacles, all of the moments when prayers would be offered and candles would be lit and songs would be sung to tell the story of the miracles of God. This idea of Hanukkah that we talk about, it reminds me of a couple of things. These aren't in your notes, but you can write them down if one of them makes more sense to you than the others. The first is this, God's silence like his silence, this, this 400 years where we don't have a prophet proclaiming the word of God, this 400 years where it doesn't seem like a lot is happening, God's silence cannot ever be confused with his absence or his inactivity because between that Old and New Testament, God was present and he was working. And in the middle of all of that, there were faith-filled Jews hoping and sacrificing and praying and longing during this intertestamental period, leading to people like Simeon, leading to people like Anna, leading to people who would be looking for the Messiah to come. The rise and the fall of empires, the, the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks, the Assyrians before that, and the Romans that are ruling right now, every single one of those empires was part of God's great plan and was instrumental in accomplishing his special purpose and Jesus that the prophet Daniel talked about who came at exactly the right moment in history and we can mark our words that the cupcake is going to come from a muffin because Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a miracle in that same way I look at Hanukkah and I think it's a miracle but it was turned into an observance 
that we do see pictured in the New Testament through the life of Jesus, and then ultimately we don't have to celebrate it. We don't have to do it in any of the traditional ways in order to understand and benefit from the meaning of it. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are called to dedicate our lives forever to him. This idea of history, whether it's the legend of Judith that we don't really know about or the story of Judah Maccabee that's probably been inflated. In fact, Judith came generations before Judah, and history has blended the two together so much that a lot of people tell the story that Judith was his aunt. Aunt Judith, nephew Judah, same kind of strength, right? Who knows? Those, 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 those historical narratives, they can be legendary. Can you believe that happened? Or, or they can be visionary. Can you believe what's coming next? But it's only Christ's story that can make us the beneficiaries of God's love and his purpose in life. Like all those great stories, they can be legends that we tell and visions that we get and and moments that we celebrate, but it's only the story of Jesus. And Anna knew that. It's only the story of Jesus that makes any one of us a beneficiary. We've been talking about the nativity this season and the characters that were there and the little statues that you do set up, as opposed to the characters who aren't there, the ones who really didn't make it at that moment. Like there were no wise men around the manger. History tells us that they probably came within a year to two years later and While they're sitting around the manger, I think to myself, why not Simeon and Anna, who had met the baby Jesus when he was barely a month old? Who's at your nativity? Whether it's Santa, reindeers, and elves, who definitely was not there? Like, like who's at your nativity that definitely wasn't? And maybe who's missing from your nativity that might have been present had they known just a few days before? Because reading the stories of Simeon and Anna, I can mark my words that if they had seen angels in a field, they would have been there looking. But just a couple of weeks later, when the Christ child came in, they both knew. From the Anna story, we're reminded of some really important things. The first is that geography and genealogy really count. They're all over Scripture. Scripture is absolutely chock full of moments of geographical history and then also the genealogies of Jesus. Like, we get so many moments with places and so many moments with names. The Bible is literally full of both. And it says right at the beginning, there was also, not just Simeon, there was also a prophet, Anna. And we could have stopped right there, but the Bible goes on to tell us she was the daughter of Penuel and she was of the tribe of Asher. We don't get to just know, like, what her role was. We get to know what family she was a part of, and what region she was from. That idea of tribe of Asher comes from the 12 sons and the 12 tribes of Jacob that composed Israel's history, each one of them giving a a promised piece of the land. This kid, Asher, was really the the son of Jacob and one of the maidservants of his mom, Leah, named Zilpah. And, And so this kid was born, and his name literally means happy or blessed. What are you super happy about this Christmas? What do you just feel unbelievably blessed by? The geography and the genealogies, they they matter. John chapter 1 verse 46 gives us a picture a little bit deeper of this. He said, Jesus, he goes and he calls his disciples. Young man, 30-year-old Jesus looks out at Simon and he's like, hey, Simon, come and follow me. Peter and, or Simon Peter and then Andrew and then James and then John. And in John chapter 1 verse 46, he calls this fellow Philip to come and to follow him. And Philip goes straight away and tells his friend Nathaniel, hey, come and I want you to see Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. 
because where somebody's from and what family they're a part of really matter. And Nathaniel's response was, Nazareth? What? Can anything good come from there? Philip's like, come and see. You see, Nathaniel was from the tribe of Issachar. Issachar was one of Jacob's sons in one of those regional lands, and it was a, a, a place that meant reward. It's a good place. What, what are you hoping to obtain? What's that, what's that reward for, for faith-filled behavior? What's that, what's, that, what's that thing that you're hoping that God would grant you this year? In the town of Nazareth, it was actually located in a region called Zebulun. That's where Philip was likely from. Zebulun means resident or dwelling, dwelling place. And maybe not just dwelling place as in home or house or region, but dwelling as in dwelling on. Where are you living this Christmas? What, what are you really focused on this year? W- what are you even stuck in in this moment? What's got all of your attention and, and all of your focus? It's not an accident that Jesus is coming out of this region. In fact, this town that he was raised, it means branch or sprout. Something's growing. God's doing something. He's about to bring something up. And I'm asking myself this Christmas, I'm asking this of my kids this Christmas, I'm asking this of our congregation this Christmas, what's what's growing inside of us? What is God doing in us? What is he birthing in us for the coming year that he wants to show to the world so that people can ultimately see his son, these geographical locations and these genealogies of Jesus, they really matter. They matter then, they matter now, and they matter to a prophet named Anna, who was given a grand opportunity. And the great thing that we can know about her, the thing that we can observe the most today, is that Anna had heartache. Somebody said, yep, so do I. Anna had heartache, but she maintained hope. You have it, but you can also maintain it regardless of what's happened in your life over the last 60 years or over the last six days, regardless of the heartache and the challenges and the difficulties that you have walked through personally or within your family or that you've just observed that are such a burden in you, regardless of the heartache you've faced, you can be a person of hope. Scripture says she was old. And she lived with her husband for seven years, and then she became a widow. And until she was 84 years old, she was continually hope-filled. Regardless of your backstory, regardless of what narrative you bring, the place that you come from and the people, regardless of your backstory, you can be part of his story. There's a lot we can learn from the lady druggist. Oh, I mean lady prophet this year. There's a lot that we can learn from this woman. The first is this, and it's in your notes. How about just keep steady? Stay the course. There are so many distractions and so many temptations out there. Certainly 11 months out of the year, there are distractions. Certainly 11 months out of the year, there are overwhelming temptations. But man, at Christmas, I feel like it just gets amplified. There are so many distractions. 
so many temptations to make the story about us, to make the choices about us, to make the spending about us, to make the focus about us. There are so many distractions and so many temptations. How about be like Anna and just remain steady? She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, focusing on the miracle that she and her people longed for. How about this? Don't delay. I put in your notes, if you know, you know. Don't delay. It says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. I I think this is pictured in Tracy's story as she shared it so beautifully in a testimony this morning. None of us will ever, ever, ever regret the moments where we were focused and dedicated on God. But we will look back in all the moments that we feel like we wasted. We'll, we'll never look back and regret the moments that we were dedicated. When you, when you know, you know, so take that step of obedience. When you know, you know, so take that leap of faith. When you know, you know, seize that moment to do whatever it is that God has called you and equipped you to do. Don't delay. And then spread the word. It says she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward, everybody who was hoping for a miracle, everybody who was experiencing longing, everybody who was looking for restoration, everybody who needed to experience healing, she said, here it is. This is the child. I'm going to tell you all about him. Sharing the good news, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity, (laughs) and it makes us happy and blessed. It is our great reward and it is where we should live our lives and where we should couch our story it's the thing that we should be focused on this year last week i asked the question hey will you see jesus it depends on where you're looking and it depends on what's in the way but how about when you see jesus this christmas when you see him what is it that you're going to do what is it that you're gonna do if you back up the story that we often tell at Christmas is about the angels who showed up to some shepherds on a hillside who were keeping watch over their flocks by night and the the angels who were kind of scary in the first part of the moment they heralded the good news of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem and encouraged the shepherds to to hurry off and to find the baby and when they did they would see him lying in a manger wrapped up in swaddling clothes surrounded by hay and probably animals and parents who were tired and anxious and excited about everything that had transpired in their lives. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, these words that the shepherds, after they had gone and seen the baby, after they had gone and offered their praise, after they had relayed the story, hey, this is how we knew to come here. It says they returned, I guess, back to the hillside, glorifying and praising God. When she saw the baby, she thanked God. Glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So did Anna. And what's more, she told everybody around her, this is it. In John chapter 10, it says that it was at the time of the Feast of Dedication, which was winter. And I often think about this moment, if Jesus' history tells us that he was likely born potentially around the end of September, the turn of October, and you add eight days to that for a circumcision and 30 days for that for Mary to be presented at the temple. We're, we're heading into the winter months. Hanukkah is just around the corner where people are going to be reminded to dedicate themselves fully and wholly to God. Well, in Jesus' adult life, in John chapter 10, it says, at the feast of dedication, Hanukkah, when when 
when they were walking around Solomon's colonnade, the Jews gathered around him. People came to Jesus and they said, hey, will you, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Why are you keeping us waiting? If you are really the Messiah, tell us plainly from the horse's mouth. I have no idea why that's an expression. I don't know the etymology of it or the history of it or why we say that or does it even make sense? Like literally, but I get it in the moment. They wanted to hear him say it. They wanted to understand from his lips, are you really the one that we hoped for? Are you really the one who's gonna restore us? Are you really the one who's gonna redeem us? Are you really the consolation that we've been hoping and praying for not just 400 years, but five, six, seven, 800 years? We've been knowing that a Messiah was gonna come. Will you tell us plainly that you are him? I just want to look at those guys in Solomon's colonnade and say, the lady druggist, oh, (laughs) the lady prophet already did. She already told everybody that would listen. This is the one. I don't know how many babies she must have looked at coming in those temple courts through the years. Some of them from wealthy families because they brought their lamb and their bird. Looking at that baby boy 38 days later, looking at that baby girl 60 days later because it was weird with their customs, but she saw all those babies. Oh, that one's so cute. Probably said nice things to all the moms, encouraging words to all the parents when they came in, but this one was different, and when she knew, she knew this is the one. And told everybody around her, he's the one. I'm going to tell you plainly, he's the one. What's the miracle that you want? What's going to make you happy and blessed? Where's the reward for all the sacrifice? It's Jesus. He's the one. Anna knew it. Anna said it. And we could learn a lot about what it means to be a person who's dedicated to God and excited to share who he is with others. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be Hanukkah. Dedicated, excited, thrilled, passionate about our pursuit of God, getting every distraction out of the way so we can see Jesus and only Jesus and not only see Jesus and only Jesus, but share Jesus and only Jesus to share and invite and to invest and to see people come face to face with the transformative work of who Jesus is. That's where the miracle comes from. That's where the transformation comes from. That's what makes us part of God's family, and that's what fixes anything that's broken in this messed up world that we live in. Can anything come out of a woman who was in the temple courts for decades of her life, having been widowed in her youth? Yes, if she talks about Jesus. Can anything good come from a church that's sitting on a corner that's literally been here for uh, over a hundred years? Change names a couple times, but that's okay. Can anything good come from that? Yes, if we talk about Jesus. Can anything good from a town called Nazareth? Yes, because we're going to tell people that a fellow named Jesus was raised there and called into his father's service there so that he could ultimately be sacrificed near there and you and I could experience the miracles that we long for. Only thing good's ever going to come from us only thing good's ever going to come from our family, only thing good's ever going to come from your story, 
is if you see him, thank God for him, and then declare that he came to everybody that you know. That's the miracle that we celebrate at Christmas. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day, um, for the chance to be in this place, and to tell you that we love you and that we want to dedicate our lives to you. Our lives, our, our stories, our, our attention, our focus. God, we ask collectively and individually today, would you forgive us for all the things that we put in the way? All the things that we make much of at Christmas that have no place around our mangers? All the things that we spend our time and our energy and our thoughts and our resources on that have, that have, that have no bearing on the story of your son? Would you help us clear all that out so that we can focus on him, be changed by him, and share him with everybody who desperately needs to know him? In Jesus, the, the miracle came. And in Jesus, the miracle is coming to us. And so, Father, my prayer today is that you would remind us what it means to be a people who are dedicated to your son and committed to sharing his light with everybody that we know. Because we all need a miracle, and we know it's found in Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.